This is the Fatty Joe Show, coming to you from Casa de Carey, deep in the forests of Nutmegerville. This show is dedicated to exploring pathways to better health from a holistic perspective. In each episode, we will explore such topics as nutrition, mental and emotional health, fitness, and more. I'm Yogi, your host, and I became interested in studying health after conventional health dogma became damaging and led me to become massively overweight. Against modern convention, I went on a keto lifestyle and I lost over 300 pounds and gained a level of control on my personal health that I never had before. Now I'm on a journey to find out what is myth and what is truth in the ever convoluted world of what is considered healthy. Come join me on a journey of discovery as I look for a path to improve total health. If you'd like to support the show, head over to patreon.com slash the fatty joe show or patreon.com slash carrie brown. If you want to check out all of our social media links and recipes, head to carriebrown.com. Don't forget to leave a comment, like, and subscribe to the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Fatty Joe Show. We are again coming to you not so live from the Carrie Brown Casa de Carrie house deep in the Nutmegger Forest. And for those of you who don't know what the Nutmegger Forest is, that's Connecticut. We have a beautiful day out here, and we also have an awesome guest that I'm going to introduce that I am actually just learning about. So this is going to be one of our few uh, non-keto podcasts, although keto may work in there some way, but this is actually focused toward vision health. Before we get started, though, I want to give a shout out to our rock stars. Our rock stars help us keep independent of advertising. They, they support us. They keep the lights on. They help grow the podcast so I can improve things as as we go and hopefully eventually get an editor who knows what they're doing and can take a lot shorter time to edit the podcast than I do. That would be awesome. But Annette St. Pierre and Deborah Glesner, thank you so much for being Patreon rock stars and supporting us through patreon.com. If you want to support us, go on to patreon.com slash the fatty Joe show. And you can support us for as little as a dollar or become a rock star and take advantage of a lot of the special offers that we have. So I have a very interesting guest on today and he reached reached out to me, which is really awesome and said, hey, I've got this nonprofit called my myopia and myopia not dot org. And I went on and I started looking at it and it, I didn't know what myopia was. And it turns out it's nearsighted. And there is certain conditions that affect nearsightedness. And this gentleman, Jake Steiner, has developed some methods where he can help you improve your myopia without corrective lenses. He's developed protocols through research on proven medical science that can actually reverse and improve your vision. So uh, without any further ado, I'm going to bring Jake on and have him give his superhero origin story. Thanks for having me on. I also like the superhero origin story thing. That's going to be my new changing my bio. There you go. So origin story. Um, I was a stock trader, investor, started out as an analyst. Um, my background's pretty, 
like technical. I do a lot of research and I had really bad eyesight. I had minus five diopter glasses for, as you said, nearsightedness. I'm terrible at marketing. People don't know what myopia is, even though the site's called N myopia. So nobody knows, but it's nearsightedness. You need glasses to see clearly at a distance. And, um, I had super strong glasses, couldn't see anything. Uh, for some reason, that never made it on my radar. I was kind of, you know, mainstream. My parents are physicians. I didn't ask any questions. But in my early 20s, I went to an optometrist because I couldn't see well at night. And they said, you need strong glasses. And um, already my eyes look really small behind my glasses. Like if you wear strong glasses, you know this. Everything behind your lenses looks smaller. So I had these tiny, beady little eyes. And I asked the optometrist, what's up? You know, why is this a problem? At this point and because my business is asking questions and understanding the answers when the guy said it's genetic i was like that's not like right like i'm not a geneticist but our collective gene pool didn't change in the last 50 years for all of us to all of a sudden have bad eyesight so i started to do research and this was kind of before the internet was all popular because this is going on 20 years now that i've been doing this um found out what actually causes nearsightedness and uh, spoiler alert it's not an illness at all, not whatsoever. And the treatment that you're being sold is a hundred billion dollar a year business that creates more of the symptom. So as soon as you go to the optometrist and you get glasses, your eyes are going to get worse and you're going to buy more glasses. This is a, I mean, there's a lot of correlation with what we're dealing with the nutrition industry. You know, the, the fact that, that the nutrition, sad American diet, the standard American diet, stupid American diet, whatever you want to call it, is highly funded by big food companies, medical companies that have a vested interest in keeping you to a certain extent of illness so that they can keep selling you drugs. It's the same thing. I mean, you talk about keto, you talk about eyesight. Anybody who's into keto and who's found this journey from having some health issue, this is going to be a completely familiar story. For me, it was weird because I didn't come from that. So I didn't, I, I, I wasn't already skeptical and critical. I was just confused. I, we were just talking before, like you had Ivor Cummins on, who I love, amazing guy. People like that and those journeys of discovering how diet and going to the doctor and symptom treatment really works out, same thing with eyesight. For people listening who are not really that big on the eyesight, even though they were corrective lenses, that stuff messes up your life and you don't even realize it. Like it, it affects your personality. It affects anxiety levels. It affects how you walk, how you move, how you behave in a social environment. Being stuck behind glasses or lenses is absolutely, it's a level lower than diet and eating well. But if you're already dealing with, if you already fixed your diet and you have eyesight problems, I highly recommend this. And I'm totally unbiased, Tom. Yeah, I... Um... I do struggle with that a bit myself. Uh, I, I actually have on my commercial license, I have a uh, little asterisk saying I must wear my glasses while I drive. I typically don't wear them unless I'm driving, but I am nearsighted. Uh, so I just, I, I never heard the clinical term of myopia before. So I guess I am myopic. I have a astigmatism. Honestly, like I've asked questions why about my diet, but I'd never really asked too many questions about why about my eyesight. For me, I, I was told by the doctor that my power lifting put a strain on the nerves of my eye and damaged my eyesight. It's possible, right? How many diopters do you know? I have no idea. I have to go. When did you, I, when did you start uh, wearing them? I started wearing them in high school, but I never was consistent on wearing them. I only wore them when I needed to like see something on the chalkboard or something like that when the when the school. But I, I actually went for years without wearing them because I was able to get by well enough sure. to not have to use them. Did you do powerlifting in high school? Yeah, I did. I was an oh, Olympic cool. style powerlifter. And um, I had one day where I strained out really hard in the 
in the gym. I actually popped a blood vessel in my eye and um, I was I was going for the beat the school record type thing. And uh, and I ended up going to class and kind of freaked out a little bit because I could not see the whiteboard. I couldn't see the writing up there. Everything was blurry. And I went to the doctor and they're like, yeah, you need glasses. And they sent me the optometrist. And I pretty much survived without my glasses, using my glasses consistently until I became a truck driver. And then when I became a truck driver, they're like, you have to wear your glasses. So it's that might be a different topic. I'm, I'm going to give you just a couple of the little highlights. One I mentioned, it's a $100 billion industry. So when you go to the optometrist and Atelier's genetic, know that they have a significant profit motive. I'm not saying conspiracy. I'm not saying malice, but significant profit motive. Second, pair lenses. Those lenses in your glasses, even if you get all the coatings and all the fancy stuff, wholesale cost for the optometrist, 2 to $5. Whatever you paid for those things, it wasn't a 100% markup, I'm sure. It was probably like thousands of percent markup. Clear curve pieces of plastic, incredibly profitable. Third, prescription. It's a clear curve piece of plastic. There were never prescriptions until whole millions of dollars of lobbying happened by the lens industry to make sure that their profits are protected because only optometrists can sell. But if you think about it, clear curve piece of plastic, right? Like you can buy over the counter all kinds of pain medication that can kill you if you overdose on it. Far more dangerous. You can just buy plastic lenses you can't buy. There's a lot of money in this. That's the first. The second bit, to keep it short, right? And I always feel like, I feel a little guilty because this sounds so far-fetched. Like you've not heard of this, right? A lot of people haven't heard of this. So skepticism warranted. I always say go to scholar.google.com. My favorite Google-related search engine because only clinical science, peer-reviewed studies, like proper scientific research, right? Not all science is right, but at least you're starting there. So you go to scholar.google.com and you type in pseudomyopia. Pseudo meaning not real, myopia meaning nearsightedness. You'll see tens of thousands of search results that describe the beginning of nearsightedness as it applies to most people. Like if you're our age, started in your early teens, coincidentally, when your schoolwork got to be a lot and you spent a lot of time in front of books and nowadays screens, now it's getting artificial a lot Artificial light. Yeah, it's not great either. The close-up is really the main thing. Yeah. So staying close up and I'll explain that in a second. And then, so you look up pseudomyopia on Google Scholar, just for reference that this isn't some far-fetched unicorn talk, right? Um, you can also look up near-induced transient myopia. That's a more technical term. Near-induced meaning caused by close-up. Transient meaning temporary. And myopia, of course, nearsightedness. Again, tens of thousands of results basically explaining the origin of your nearsightedness. I highly recommend it just for a little different reading. The other term that's really interesting is called um, lens-induced myopia. Before anybody falls asleep, the, the really short version is you're going to find, again, tens of thousands of research studies showing that the glasses you wear cause more of the symptom. So if you go to the optometrist and you're a little bit nearsightedness when you were 12, and they sell you glasses, the next year you need stronger glasses because of the glasses. So literally the, the treatment causes more of the symptom. And for anybody who's just vaguely curious about this, just keep that in mind. You're buying stuff for possibly hundreds of dollars that cost five bucks. You're supporting a $100 billion industry that's selling you a treatment that causes more of your bad eyesight. Much like Ivor Cummins, Dave Feldman, you're coming from a, a research background. Uh, and, and so you're programmed to ask why. But for many people uh, around the world, they're just trying to get through. So they're not asking why they're they're getting overweight, they're where, why they're getting certain conditions, or why their eyes are getting bad. They're just going to the doctor, give me the fix, and go. So what stimulated 
the process, what do you think in your mind stimulated that motivation to really ask why, what's going on with you? Well, it was vanity, to be totally honest, in my case, because minus five, my, you get, you know, like everything, glasses are compromised, right? Like they've refocused the light and I explained about, I can explain the biologists a lot, biology of this a lot more. Refocus the light, but they basically make everything smaller, right? So I had little tiny eyes and I didn't want stronger glasses. That was my my motive in the moment. And when the guy said genetic, I felt a little bit th- talked down to because maybe it's because I'm from Germany and in, in the higher level of high school, you learn just super basics about how genetics work, like not any advanced stuff, but you know that global genetic change of this variety doesn't happen in 50 years. It just doesn't, right? So it was kind of like the guy was talking down to me. And when I said, how can it, it's not likely to be genetic, right? Like our genes didn't specifically change in a short period of time. And going to the library at that point, because it was, there was no Google Scholar and doing a few hours of research, I almost pretty quickly found pseudomyopia. The the short, short, short version of this is myopia. Your short sightedness is a muscle spasm. Like you got this lens in the front of your eye. It's like a camera lens, except it's like a flexible thing. It's got a round muscle around it. And the muscle shapes the lens. And the closer you look at something, the tighter that muscle gets. It's meant for short-term use, right? Like you're meant to be looking at a distance. That muscle is totally relaxed at six meters, 20 feet, right? And the closer you look at something, the tighter it gets. So if you look at your phone for four hours, eventually you get a muscle spasm. It just doesn't relax. That's short-sighted, right? And I found that in a really short period of time of research. And it was kind of shocking because where I found it was in a clinical science journal written for optometrists. I I was kind of like, this is literally written for the guys that told me that it's genetic. And that kind of set me off. I have got a little personality problem with you know, people being condescending. And I'm like, okay, that's that's odd. And then I kind of went down a rabbit hole and it turned into a bigger research project. And eventually I, I made some assumptions on how to fix this, which weren't exactly correct. But currently, I mean, we're having this podcast, I have 2020 eyesight and I never did eye exercises. I didn't do LASIK. I don't own glasses, right? Like I have perfect vision today. I, I was looking at your website, again, myopia.org, myopia.org, and you've developed several protocols along there. I saw that there's there several different uh, sections that you can jump into. You have resources that you've put out that people can just go on and access. You've cited your resources that, to develop the, the protocols that you've developed. So tell me, without pulling the rabbit completely out of the hat, because I want people to go and I, I want to encourage people to go find answers. I don't want to just give answers. I want to. I want people to actually to put the work in. But what are some things that you can do to help correct this this vision impairment? So, starting point for, in my opinion, and I used to make this mistake a lot. Just like I call it end myopia, nobody knows what myopia is. I jump right into how you fix it, which is easy to fix. But the first step really is to go would you like better eyesight? You know, like, would it change your life? And then a lot of people are like, yeah, fine. I put these things on, they work. But you're not realizing, like, I go kite surfing, right? And if you would have told me this 20 years ago, I would have said, no way, because I thought I was clumsy, right? Because, for example, when you wear glasses, like the, the not contact lenses, but glasses, you don't really have peripheral vision. So you can't see anything that's going on except for what's in front of you. So you get clumsy, because you can't walk without looking at the ground because you can't see what's there. So it, it, it changes how you interact. What I kind of said early in the beginning, it changes how you interact with your environment, it changes how you interact with people. 
you seem more reserved and introverted and shy because you're kind of fixated through the center of the lens. You don't have natural head and eye movement that somebody has without glasses. And if you say, I wear contact lenses, I'm fine. Look up retinal thinning, uh, corneal thinning, sorry. Corneal thinning where the cornea in the front of your eyes gets thinner over time because of prolonged contact lens wearing. So I say the best starting point, like you do keto, right? Like there's a real tangible mm -hmm. outcome. Like uh, you want to reduce inflammation or being overweight. You have a real easy reason to start the thing. With eyesight, I think it's always the first thing is going, figure out why it's worth doing, right? Number one. Number two is this is kind of a rabbit hole because the first step, your, your so-called prescription, those diopters, they're just a distance that you can see clearly. So when you go to the optometrist and there's that whole charade of machines and things going on, they're only doing one thing. They're measuring from your eye to how far you can see before there's blur. So you could do that at home. You pick up a book and a measuring tape and hold the book in front of your face and pull the book slowly away till there's a first bit of blur and then measure that distance. That's the doctors of your glasses. 100 divided by that, di by that distance equals stop. Literally nothing the optometrist does and they don't like me for that statement, but it's true. Like how far can you see from your eyeball to printed piece of text before there's blur? So as far as easy steps, first figure out why you'd want to do it and second go test it right like just measure the distance and go okay if you could see 50 centimeters that's two diopters of glasses like you could buy them yourself you can buy them online right like for the most part you don't need a quote-unquote prescription you could buy your own glasses with your own measurement and then what i like to say is you mentioned artificial light is compare light situations like do the same test but do it in a next to a window right like shaded natural light and see how that distance is longer then the distance is if you do it somewhere like where I'm at in a really, you know, artificially lit kind of darkish room, the distance will be shorter. So then you start figuring out my sight is not the same level of bad all the time. Like if I'm in good lighting, it's better than in bad lighting. If I have insulin spikes, my eyesight will be noticeably worse. Right? Like if you eat a pizza, which people listening to podcasts hopefully don't too much, you can measure your eyesight and it might be worse than it will be if you don't have an insulin spike. You, you binge four hours of Netflix on your iPad. Again, the distance super key. You can't see as far afterwards, right? So once you start making these measurements, you're like, huh, this stuff keeps changing, right? And then you look at how strong your glasses are. And then you go, maybe I don't need, in, in this example, two doctors, right? Because half the time I can actually see, right? The distance is 1.75, a little bit lower. And the key to improving your eyesight is super simple. There's no money in it. That's all my stuff is free because the only thing you need is weaker glasses, slightly tiny little bit weaker glasses than you can see perfectly with, right? So you're introducing a tiny little bit of challenge and the biology of the eye is super interesting because it's, it's basically a ball that's filled with fluid, right? And it's a, a flexible ball. It's not perfect. So because it's never perfect and uh, the retina where the light is received is on one side of it and the lens is on the other side. And the lens keeps focusing the light on the retina, but the ball is never perfectly shaped, right? So there's a mechanism in the eye that keeps adjusting its length. Right? Like it's a, it's a ball, but it, it gets a, a fraction of a millimeter longer and shorter, adjusts itself all the time. And it, part of what adjusts is, is your glasses. So you started out with low diopter glasses and what the glasses did, and that's kind of a longer biology discussion, it caused the eye to elongate because the mechanism got the signal from the lenses that the, the glasses lenses that your eyeball is too short, it elongated, now you can't see that well. 
the trick to reversing your myopia is wearing slightly weaker glasses and challenging your eyesight. And it takes a little bit of time. Like it's about adopt a year. Every three to four months, you can reduce your glasses a tiny little bit on average. Um, and if people go to myopia.org, there's tens of thousands of people have done this over the last 20 years of just tiny little occasional reduction of the power of your glasses till eventually you don't need them anymore. It's almost like weightlifting for your eyes. You've given it a slight more uh, challenge, a little bit more, a little bit more until you, you know, you can get to that, that next level. That is absolutely what it is. And that's all it is. And it's, of course, there's a million more things. And the rabbit's not all the way out of the hat because you are, the website has 1,200 articles that I've written on all the nuances and details and what can happen based on your lifestyle and answering people's questions and all the things that happened over the years. But basically, exactly what you're saying. It's just a little bit of challenge, right? Just because when you buy glasses, they're, they're correcting you to see ants in space. Like they're just trying to give you perfect vision that's never challenged. And when you when you dial that down, instead of having like 2015 vision, you've got 2030 vision, right? Where you can still recognize your friends, you can still drive. You need 2040 to drive. Um, but a license plate at a distance might be harder to read. And then if you build a habit of I'm going to read all the stuff that's harder to read, just like weightlifting, or not just like, but similar concept, that stimulus makes your eye go, well, I guess I should be a little bit shorter. The eye does that till you're like me, right? Like I had pretty strong glasses and I just don't need them. Yeah, it's just like anything else in, in your life. If you're not going to use the muscle, if you're not going to use the activity, if you eat a low-fat diet for a long time, the acid in your stomach gets weaker and the, the bile flow uh, gets uh, tightened up to, to say to the point where you, you might actually need your gallbladder removed because of stones things because you're not using that. So you're, you're creating a program, a protocol of using the eyes in a certain way so that that, that muscle gets used and the vision is corrected because the muscle is getting used. Yeah. And you, you also, there's a couple other things, like, like you said about the rabbit, like close-up is a problem, right? Like it's, it turns into a bit of a topic if you get serious about it, just like the gym, right? Like the short answer, lift weights, right? The longer answer becomes while you look at your computer screen, you should never wear glasses meant for distance. Like the reason your eyes got worse in the first place is the, the optometrist told you to wear those things all the time, which is absolutely the wrong answer. Never wear those things when you don't need them, right? Like, and now it's kids because now parents are giving iPads to their five-year-olds, which is a terrible idea. And then the kids start squinting, right? Because you just spent five hours looking at that iPad and that muscle looked up. Parents freak out, take the kid to the optometrist. The optometrist says glasses. Now the kid wears glasses and is again at kids arm length in front of an iPad. And now the glasses make it that much worse, right? Like, so there's, there's definitely like little nuances, just like the gym has a million nuances once you get into it. But basically it's the same idea. Like I'm not saying nobody needs glasses, but 95% of the people today that wear glasses wouldn't need them given the right habits. You know, we talk about the same thing through nutrition when, uh, people on certain medications and some people may need to be on those medications, but a lot of these conditions that people are taking certain medication for a lot of certain medications people are taking for certain types of conditions can be corrected with lifestyle. And you're, you're talking about a lifestyle change of, of exercising your eyes and doing different things to make your eyes improve, maybe cut down the screen time. For me, I know that when I get 
outside, my vision seems to improve. And if I'm inside a lot with artificial light, um, I, I tend to, to get more of a blurry vision. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I said start with measuring for people that have bad eyesight. Because really the key is, and this is, I'm a boring dude, right? Like I'm, I'm, I used to be an analyst. Like I figure out the data of what's going on. So when you start measuring, putting numbers to it, right? Like you keep a little journal, like, okay, I was inside and I could see 48 centimeters or whatever the inches of that are. Right. And then I spent a week in camping and now it was 55 and you start seeing enough of the data. You start really going, huh, X activity is not really good for me. So maybe I'm going to do less of it. Right. And over time, one of the really cool side benefits of working on your eyes, just like diet has a lot of side benefits is you start living a healthier life for your eyes. Like you figure out like iPad for movies makes your eyes worse. TV for movies much better because bigger distance, your muscle doesn't spasm, mm. right? And you don't realize this. And if I tell you this, you're like, oh, that's interesting. But if you measure it, right? And you go from that 50 centimeters to 44, for example, you go, oh, whoa, whoa, my eyes are actually worse right now, right? And you get a big screen TV at a nice distance, you watch the same amount of movies and your eyesight isn't worse afterwards. Like those are all the things, like slowly you start tweaking your life into a better place just by understanding what your eyes like and what your eyes don't like. Like they don't like artificial light indoors. And not yeah. too much of it. Fluorescent light bugs my eyes like crazy. Yeah, Terrible. That's, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, you said boring guy, but I actually love talking to people like you because like like I Ivor, like Dave Feldman, Siobhan Huggins, you guys, you have this analytical mind and, and I always like to talk to you guys and ask you know, where this comes from, because I think more of our society can benefit from this, but you're, you're not just looking at the superficial fix to the problem. You keep it asking why and digging down closer to a root issue and, and figuring what caused the entire problem to begin with in order to create a real solution. Because too, too much in our society right now, we have people that are just wanting that, that simple fix. And Dude. we tend to create more problems because of it. People get mad at me all the time because I refuse to do it. You know, like, okay, the website is a little bit overwhelming. For somebody who visits for the first time, I admit it. But the thing is many years old and there's a ton of content on it. But people are like, just give me the steps. That's like the most requested thing. And I'm like, there's no way. The reason you got in trouble in the first place is because you didn't take the time to understand the problem right? Anybody can sell you anything if you don't understand, does this address the cause, right? That's always the first question with all of these things. Like whenever there's a treatment, you walk in there and like, I would give you this pill and you go, well, what caused this whole thing, right? Does this pill address the cause of the problem? And if it doesn't, or if the guy doesn't know the answer, then you're in the wrong place, right? So for the yeah. people that are annoyed with me for, for kind of making them go through a little bit of research, Thanks for saying that, right? Like, I, I think it's, it sucks because we're busy. I understand we got a million other things to do, but it's like, if you trust those guys, what they're doing is making a bunch of money off of selling you a symptom treatment. You know? Yeah. And, and you've, I mean, you've, you've created several protocols I saw on there and then some are linked to that. Like, if you do this protocol, this protocol works for this. I was kind of scanning through things uh, the other day. And uh, so there's it seems like you have different methods for different people if this doesn't work this might work for you and, and and 
that so type of change. The, the best starting point is because it is kind of a topic. So I've got a seven-day email guide. And the reason it's seven days is because people want to skip ahead. So what I learned yeah. many years ago is you got to make a bite-sized chunk today and tomorrow and the next day. going to be an app soon because email sucks. People don't get email all the time. But the idea is it's seven days. In seven days, you go from knowing nothing to understanding the basics of the biology and being able to research it because you should be skeptical to understanding what kind of glasses you probably need and why and how to address some of the lifestyle. And then the rest of the website and YouTube channel and Facebook group and all that stuff will make a lot more sense, right? Like if you've taken a few days to dig into what this is all about. And unfortunately, it does take that, right? Like like with Ivor, like with lots of other things like this, I did most of the work figuring it out, but you still kind of want to dig in there and understand what's up. So you're not being sold because, for example, there's something called Bates Method, super popular on the internet. It's like eye exercises. It doesn't work. People will get mad at me for saying that, but it just doesn't work. But the problem, why people invest the time in doing these eye exercises is because they don't ask the question, what caused all this, right? Like, yeah. how do I understand where this thing started and then how do I fix it? And that's kind of what I make you go through. And the seven-day thing is kind of a nice start because otherwise maybe overwhelming. But then we also have a pretty big Facebook group with 20 some odd thousand members and we've got a forum that's even bigger than that and YouTube channel, a bunch of stuff. Within a week, you'll have a pretty good idea. And within a few weeks, you're going to be, you're going to know more than the optometrist about your eyes. That's awesome. And you, you put all this stuff up there. It's accessible for free. I jumped on your website. You can get on there and see pretty much everything you're talking about right now and get access to it. So what drove you to make all this resources free for everybody to get? Well, I'm, I was an analyst and then I was a stock trader and an investor and I got lucky because we live in a strange time where we have. So I made all my money already. So I don't really need the, the my, my incentive isn't financial and this wouldn't have turned into as much of a thing as it is. In the beginning, it was trolling optometry. Like they were condescending. Like when I figured some of this out and I was excited and I went to optometrists and they were really arrogant and rude and, and not helpful, made me start writing. Right? That was kind of a starting point. And then as I was trying to buy glasses and that I continued having this, this attitude, I just kept writing. Like this whole thing, if you read back in the blog, it used to just be rants basically. Right. Like, and then people started because friends were doing it and people started reading it. And then online, I got a bunch of hate from optometry online. And then we outgrew that. So my motivation was always in the beginning, not very superhero like, but it was mostly just venting frustrations. It got to the point that it got so big that it turned from venting frustrations into just, I'm doing it because there's such an interesting community of just people that I really enjoy interacting with. So it's my morning thing. Like I spend two or three hours in the morning, have a coffee, I do some stuff and then I do other work, right? But this is kind of my, it gives so much back. Like I was on Ivor's yeah. podcast. I learned about CIC, like that heart calcification scan, mm -hmm. went and got that done. Just things that, that paid me back so much more than all this stuff does. Having people, other people in these communities that figure out other stuff that help us all collectively lead a better life as much as that sounds cliche and trite, I kind of enjoy that. That's awesome, man. And I, coming from somebody that has done a lot of service to others in my life, as far as the work that I've chosen to do throughout my life until, until I reached truck driving and pro wrestling, that wasn't really part of it. But there's a, 
there's a lot to be said when you're giving back to your community, when you're putting things back out there. And I, I really think that's an awesome thing. So I want to commend you on that because we have too many people nowadays that, uh, well, that have been around for a long time where you know, there's never enough and they keep having it. So you could have put all this up and charged people and got fees and, you know, the whole bit, but you, you didn't do that. You're, you're literally just giving things back to back to community and helping to improve the community where you're at. So that's, that's pretty cool. Two things in my defense is not a good guy. I have to say I own a bunch of lens stock. So I make money off the opposite side. Like people don't listen to me also fine. So right. Kind of a hypocrite in that way. Like I do invest in that side and I do have paid courses, but they're not generally very available. Like when I provide Mm -hmm. support and stuff, but everything you need is free. And that's just, and I kind of don't want to knock people who make money off of things because if you got to make money, at least you're doing it on a, on something that helps people is I'm fine with that. I just got lucky. Right? Like I, yeah. yeah. Otherwise yeah, well, I'm sure know, I, that would be, I'm sure I'd be selling a lot more stuff. Otherwise, I, I, you know, I'm a capitalist myself, you know, but I, I believe in capitalism with a social conscience and, yeah. and I, it's one of those things where if you keep, one of the major resources for capitalism you're trying to make money is people whether they work for you or they're buying your product and if you keep pulling from those people but not putting anything back eventually any like any resources it's gonna in some sort of way dry up and not be a resource yeah and plus i have this okay so i'm i'm pretty mainstream but i've got a bunch of hippie friends right and what i've learned from living in those or being around those groups is the sharingness that we so very much need. And now I'm getting on a tangent, but like the screen addiction that we have to Google and Facebook and YouTube and all this stuff, these corporations are not our friends, right? Like we need you and me and other people to talk to each other about better ideas because the system around us, as much as it's amazing for lots of things, is not amazing as far as it doesn't care about us. It doesn't care about your eyes, you know? It doesn't care about your health as long as you're alive and you can pay taxes. So I think we need this, this new economy of guys like us that find solutions that benefit us and we mutually care about each other on a different level than, than you know, some of the stuff we depend on. And like, this screen addiction stuff is terrible. And they're yeah. not, you know what I mean? Like none of those companies are going to do anything about letting us know that this is happening. It's terrible. People can't go to dinner with each other without hanging on that screen. You know what I mean? Gives you bad eyesight. Yeah. All kinds of stuff happens. And I think, again, I'm not against the making money. It's just we need to be closer together and further away from the companies that tell us how to live our lives, I think. Well, I, I personally think you could still make a lot of money, but but give back at the same time. And, and sure. there's a lot of companies that have, have demonstrated that very concept it works very well we've in the u.s we demonstrated it very well after world war ii where we invested a ton of money to help people find jobs and things like that and and education and things a a model that germany has taken and improved on and and other places around the world and updated for modern times so i think giving back is an important thing but also there's a there's something to be said about a paid model too because for a lot of people, when you give them something for free, when it's a course or a coaching thing, they're not as invested to follow through with it as they are if they put some money into it. And then they're like, well, I paid for this. I better, you know, 
it, it, that's that's true and i that's why i have paid courses I, but i'm a you know i'm not great about having them available because i spent a lot of time on other things yeah. but i get that and people have told me that many times and i agree with that 100 percent. i i've always made it if i if it doesn't cost me anything of my time i'm not charging anything for it yeah. right like for me to to write a guide one time okay cost me a little bit of time but then thousands of people can use it for years and years i don't need to charge for it right like courses i have currently non-available for people that are listening to this but in general once in a while when they're open i provide personal support for them not free right and they're they always fill up immediately and people love them and exactly what you said like if i spend money i'm invested in a different way i'm, I'm all for all of these things but i like doing a lot of this for free because i really think this information needs to be democratized to some level especially now because i get Almost every single day, parents are emailing me about the kids, young kids. I've got a five-year-old with, with glasses. You know what I mean? And I think the basic education option needs to be out there for a parent to go, okay, this is how I prevent myopia, nearsightedness in my child, right? Like separate from me making money. Like I don't want to make money off of something that they can't find somewhere else easily currently. Just by being a parent, you know what I mean? Like, right. It's terrible when you get these emails. I mean, parents are freaked out. And I know because I'm sitting on the other side, I'm going, if you put the glasses on the child, it's going to be downhill from there. You know what I mean? Like they need that. They need the information available to go, how do I measure this myself? How do I understand this? And how do I prevent some of this from happening? And this is information much like the nutrition world that is not talked about, as you said before, because people don't have a vested interest monetized monetarily to talk about you know and, and and with a lot of opticians i'm sure there's a lot of opticians that don't know about your technique because they've been told what to do and their financial benefit keeps them down that path so they're not going to ask why to break away from them. in most cases not going to ask why to break away from their financial benefit yeah and there are there are plenty of optometrists who know all of this stuff because i am quoting their journals right? Like, this is not my idea. Like, I get no credit for none of that. They, I, I quote things written for them. And I've met plenty of them that do similar things. I've met plenty of them said, t tell parents, take the kids' glasses off for close-up, right? Either going to get worse if you keep wearing them. The problem is exactly what you said. The education is a dogma and it's old, right? And so they're being taught a certain way. And also there's just no money in what I'm saying. Like, it's right. just not, who's going to, who's going to educate people about a thing if they can't pay the bills with it? You know what I mean? Because all I'm saying is you need weaker glasses and less screen time, and then you don't need glasses anymore. Like, that's not, it's not a profitable business model. And actually, without totally going to deep dive, there's products now that help um, stop your eyes from getting worse or slow it down that are fairly expensive. And those products, if you read all of the how they work, they explain the same stuff I explained. The problem mm. was until there was something they could patent and sell, there was no point in talking about this. You know, not that there is like yeah. my sight contact lenses and other stuff that are just ridiculously expensive. They do the same stuff that I do or that I explain people to do with $5 glasses, but now they got something to sell. Now all of a sudden that information is coming out. So it's, it's not malice. It's just how our system is designed. Right. Right. If you, if your financial, situation is dependent on a certain pro you're going to follow that program because you don't want to damage your your financial income let's you're, you said you're a parent and 
that's one thing that that parents you're going to tell kids parents not to have their kids do screen time that's going to freak out a lot of parents so um you know that magic babysitter that keeps their kid quiet for a little bit you know is 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 something that is going to you know definitely freak a lot of parents out so let's um as far as your parenting goes when you're trying to reduce um screen time with your kids what are some things that you can do even when you're busy that that will help keep your kids on track without the screen time and help their kids eyes so this ipad thing is a new shortcut right like for parents that that think they can't live without it all parents before you have lived without it just fine it's it's amazingly convenient and i see parents doing this all the time from for my kid not allowed to hold the phone never was won't be as long as I can control it. Arms too short, right? Like if he ha- holds the phone, the thing's too close. Also a lot of addictive behaviors that happen. Uh, if you're traveling, we I got bought the biggest size iPad. It gets put on the end of the bed. He's on the opposite end of the bed. There's as much distance as possible, enough distance for the muscle to be relaxed. And he gets an hour or so of cartoons, you know, or TV distance, also totally fine. It's, it's the handheld distance and anything... Like I said, six meters, 20 feet is your muscle is relaxed. Like that is a safe distance. As you get closer and closer, you're increasing that, that muscle tension, right? Like, so the further you can keep the device away, the better. And honestly, I thought it was going to be difficult, but kids have imaginations, right? Like my little ones pays with sticks and stones and old beat up toys and his neighbor kids and everybody else for endless hours, right? Like, if you don't offer the iPad as an option and longer story, because my kid lives in an off grid jungle um, with nobody around having technology. So luckily the neighbor kids are not playing on iPads. That makes it a lot more difficult. Um, But if you can get a group of parents around that agree with this idea that you shouldn't be doing this, man, I'm getting into giant monologue here. One of the big things, one of the big, big thing, I think what I always say to people is boredom is something that's gotten taken away from us with these screens. You're never bored. But boredom is the beginning of creativity, right? Like without boredom, you're not getting creative. So letting the kid get bored enough to find that sticks and rocks and old toys are fun to play with is critical to the child's development, right? Like all the ADD and all the stuff that's going on. I'm not an expert on this, but my feeling is not helped by the screens. Let them get a little bored and find stuff to play with. Yeah, I think that's great advice. I know when I was a kid growing up, besides going outdoors and causing all kinds of chaos and trouble out there, uh, I, you know, my dad was an artist growing up. My dad actually looks like the American uh, PBS artist, Bob Ross, with the big curly hair and the, you know, like, you know, the happy little tree and stuff like that. But that's what my dad did for a living. He was an art teacher for many years for high school. And he one of the great things that my family did was they really stimulated creativity. They could give me cardboard boxes and I'd be cutting out, you know, like, like whole sets for my star Wars figures to, to play in. And, and it was great. You know, I create the thing, play with the thing and then, then go. And it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of that going on. Uh, my friend, Danny Vega uh, and Mora Vega, they, they, they have two uh, awesome little kids and, Danny sent me some pictures of his kid drawing and and learning how to do biology through art and things. I think 
more of that could be fantastic for kids and imagination is what drives our our technology uh, our our new innovations and things like that but just like anything else like the eyes and anything that's a muscle that needs to be exercised boredom you gotta get bored first yeah. you know what i mean like yeah. it's and it's just like it just happened all the time like i mean you got the stories from grandma saying you know we gave the baby a drop of whiskey because it would make the baby sleep you mm-hmm. know like there was morphine in in cough medicine like we are just going through a phase where we're like huh this is a convenient shortcut right. we're gonna figure out it's not you know what i mean and it's like my boy loves to draw you know so i buy color pencils and drawing books all the time like i'm i'm looking for what does he like to do and find stuff to play with right like it's it's an extra step for sure it's a lot more effort than just giving them an ipad but that's kind of man that's the joys and challenges of parenting you know and i i when i worked at the group home with kids we would have kids write plays and we'd act them out make costumes and and the whole bit you know we that was that was things that we did to get kids involved and and when the kids are in the process of the writing or the creating or the cutting of the costumes or drawing out what they want things to look like they're occupied you know but they're occupied in such a positive and way that helps create you know development in the mind and in skills and things that that just putting a netflix thing down even if the netflix thing is a documentary you know which i'm not knocking netflix there's a place for it like you can learn one thing about netflix and hulu and amazon prime is especially if you go to the documentary area or some of the educational program it's fantastic you know for short little bit, but you need that action, just like working on your eyes. You need that action to take place in order to improve things. Yeah. And you know what? I mean, when I got on this, when I figured out how to improve eyesight, I was at the time, I was not that super active in a lot of ways. But over the years, what I figured out is you need distance time. You need to get away from books. I mean, at the time I was reading more books because it wasn't really internet time, right? But same problem, same difference to more outdoor activities. And as I started doing that, my life today is a totally different life because there's so much stuff in it. And the stuff originated with, I will sit, I mean, I will sit online and I'll research what is there to do here outside. And man, I found the most random things like I lived in Florida for a little while and they would have sailboat regattas on the weekend at the yacht club. I'm not a yacht club member, but then it turns out if you bring some craft beer at the right time and present yourself as extra weight that they might find useful, they might let you on the boat. Right? And then wow. you're in a two hour regatta for free. And I figured out like Saturday mornings, they've got these little ultralight airports, you know, because the US, you guys have an awesome country. The FAA lets you fly all kinds of things around. And there's all kinds of weirdos early Saturday morning flying strange contraptions around. And if you're curious, they'll take you for a ride. And I found all of this kind of stuff over periods of time, right? Like I got into kite surfing and paragliding and all kinds of stuff that started with just how do I get away from books or more later screens, right? So and boredom is a, an important factor in all of this stuff. Like, I really think you improve your life a lot. Just like with keto, you improve your physical health a lot. If you start caring about your eyesight and realizing what makes your eyes better is stuff that makes your life better. And that sounds yeah. cliche, but it kind of is true. Well, you know, I, I agree with it wholeheartedly. I'm, I'm coming from a background where, you know, I've been a scuba diver, up to rescue diver, surfer, you know, power lifter. I got into pro wrestling because somebody walked up to me and said, Hey, you want to try pro wrestling? I'm like, oh, okay. You know, but it, having these experiences enriches your life. 
in so mm -hmm. many ways that it just reading about is great. Like reading is fantastic, but having the experiences is, is another level and, and you really got to have it in there. Now we are predominantly a nutrition and health podcast. So I'm going to ask you, is there steps in your program that involve nutrition to help improve eyes or are there, are there things that, uh, I, okay. So everything's connected. The thing is a system. It's not, nothing runs independent from each other. That said, I'm not a nutritionist. And also I, I, my topic is hard enough on people that I'm not trying to tell them you also got to stop eating pizza, which is a great idea to stop eating pizza. But you can get better eyesight in the, kind of independently of your diet. Ideally, though, like what I mentioned before, insulin spikes are not great at all for your eyesight. So the less insulin spikes you have, the better. I don't go much further than that on diet recommendations. There's a ton in our forum. People talk about diet all the time. There's giant threads discussing carnivore diet and arguing if a, if a vegan diet can work. So people are really into the diet thing. My whole thing is I do blood tests like Ivor, but I do detailed blood tests three or four times a year of just everything. If there's a deficiency, I try to address it because it's going to affect my eyes. It's going to affect the rest of me also, right? Like, so optimizing your diet is going to go a long way of making the system work better. I myself... I'm absolutely not an expert on diet, so I defer to guys like you. On that's uh, that's definitely there, and and I, yeah, I I would say that diet would play a role. And if you're talking about insulin spikes, carb restriction, eating restriction windows, and things like that, could help with the insulin levels. I do know that there's certain vitamins and minerals that can help with the eyes, like magnesium, phosphorus, uh, which has a function. Phosphorus has a function inside the eye to help with the light absorption. And then vitamin, of course, vitamin A, which you can get from a lot of animal products. Um, I think we, when if we rely on certain one thing, whether it's nutrition and we don't do the physical, then we're not getting the full package, you know? And so this is great to talk about the physical uh, aspect of, of things. I'm just now this is going to kind of go off the, the topic, but we talked a little bit before the uh, the show and I also read some of your bio and I just want to ask something for entertainment value. It it, it uh, you said on your bio, you like to build weird flying contraptions and fly them around and, and things like that. I got to know a little bit more about that, man. So well, this, is, this I, is just interesting to me. Not recently, because when I lived in the U.S., um, I was getting really into the ultralight community and i enjoyed that um, along with paragliding so i like it was a period i'm not sure if that's that's still in my bio it might be in asia though they have a ton of restrictions on airspace so if you live in the u.s and you haven't flown anything you're missing out because for almost ridiculously small amounts of money you can be airborne and play that's just mind-boggling and you probably have resources around you probably have little airports you probably have communities of people that are into strange flying contraptions you're allowed to fly all kinds of things in the u.s in all kinds of places and i love it like it is it's it's freaking amazing what you can do there and especially now that i'm in asia where you know the the airspace in most countries is really heavily controlled and you are not allowed to just fly stuff right like the faa exemptions for ultralights are just beyond generous i mean you can yeah and there's all of these companies that pre-build you things that you can assemble at home and depending on how crazy you are and how little money you want to spend, I mean, they fly trikes, you know, where the from boats, like from inflatable, an inflatable boat with a, with a, imagine just a triangle shaped wing that's just fabric, right? Like that's fabric stretched around an aluminum frame and a propeller in an engine that's like, like one of those boats that, that don't have an underwater propeller. I don't know what mm -hmm. they're called. They fly those. 
like from the water. You know what I mean? Those things that are secondhand, like if you find them for four or five grand, that's a little nutty. But I think you can spend a huge amount of time, if you have spare time, playing with these kinds of out there ideas and not be tempted by a screen. Right? Yeah. This is me being silly because I also enjoyed paragliding. I lived in Nepal for a little while, just paragliding because it's amazing there. I'm afraid of heights, but I think we just live in an amazing time, right? And I, I get kind of sometimes a little frustrated how much time we spend in front of screens when we've got so much opportunity for so much other stuff. Yeah, I, I lived in Oceanside, California for, for most of my life. And we lived at one point not too far away from Palomar Airport. And there was literally guys slapping lawnmower engines on go-karts <laughs> and putting a, uh, you know, a parachute up and then just taking off, you know? So yeah. I just I thought it was fun, interesting. Then, and they do that now, power paragliding. That's what power paragliding is today. And it's become pretty sophisticated. Like you, you sit in kind of a chair contraption and the fan and motors behind you, you're basically carrying it. You have a parachute style wing that you pull up behind you, start running and you pull up the wing behind you. People can uh, Google power paragliding and then hit the button, you know, power up the engine and just fly off. And it's legal to do. Good luck. Have fun. Yeah. yeah, it's awesome. I mean, I, I would say anybody who wants to try this, get a little education on a little bit. But uh, but it's it's a great thing, and I do like talking about this kind of things because I I think hobbies and keeping your mind and your phys physical body engaged in something interesting is a key component to health. And uh, yeah. for me right now, like I love going backpacking, hiking, you know, and that's kind of like one of my major drives right now. I love getting outside. I love figuring out. Uh, back in the day, I used to love making primitive shelters and things that that uh, outside and stuff. So that's me, you know, and it's one of my hobbies. I have quite a few, actually, and it's hard to keep up with all of them. But, you know, it keeps me interested in life. Yeah. So and that's what that's what I said early on. Like, you want to figure out what you want to use your eyes for. Right. And if you don't have an answer for that, then you kind of want to look at your life and go, how interesting is this show that I don't need my eyesight? Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's kind of a big question. That's kind of kind of unfair because I'm just explaining to people how to improve the eyesight. I'm not trying to mess with, you know, you pick whatever life you want to live. But like I got into jujitsu recently. And this is more of a, a diet topic than an eye topic. Mm. I need to be in shape. I'm getting my, my proverbial and not proverbial ass kicked all the time right and now you need this physical self to play with right and, and yeah. i think whether it's eyesight whether it's diet all of these things all of a sudden if you have a use for this system you want to take care of it and you're going to have a much better experience yeah and i think it's i i think all this stuff plays a role in your total overall health and one of the things i can see for myself where this eyesight improvement would greatly help because um, it's it's more difficult to do with glasses, but I love archery. I love primitive type things. So, and yes, I am focused on a, a tunnel vision target ahead of me. But if I'm going to go out hunting, I need that peripheral vision to catch movement off the sides and things like that to be able to knock an arrow and loose an arrow to to get at 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 whatever I'm hunting. Or if I'm hunting with you know small game with a pellet gun, same thing. If I'm hiking, having the peripheral vision to catch possibly a rattlesnake that's nearby me or something like that, you know, before I step on it or some loose gravel or something that might might endanger me, I could definitely see 
the benefit of not having glasses and improving vision because I didn't know that it was a possibility to improve my vision without something like LASIK. Yeah, which is a terrible idea, by the way. Well, tell us a little bit about what's the drawbacks of LASIK. If you Google Dr. Morris Waxler, I always like to give external references so I don't sound like these are my ideas or I get blamed for it. He's the guy, the head of the FDA division that got LASIK approved in the first place. I'm summarizing his bio correctly. He's the dude at the FDA, or he was, that got a LASIK greenlit. The man, mm -hmm. right? If you Google him, he is the most outspoken advocate against LASIK there is. He says it's the biggest mistake of his life, should have never been approved. This is the guy that worked for the FDA that got the thing approved. The problem is there's, there's, it works out fine for 95%. If you do LASIK, your eyesight's fine. For the percentage of people that it doesn't work out for, a lot of the side effects are unfixable and potentially serious. I mean, I recommend people go search LASIK complications. There's a whole website that's really dedicated to that stuff. Before you get LASIK, deep dive into that and question whether you want the potential of any of those things happen to your eyes, number one. Number two is LASIK is just a contact lens, basically, cut into your eye. It's no different. It's not a some cure or a fix or some a surgery that does anything other than cut a lens into your eye, right? Like functionally no different than a contact lens. The problem is it's permanent, right? So now that's what you got in front of your eye. If your eyesight was getting worse before LASIK, it's going to continue to get worse after LASIK. So a year, two years, five years, 10 years down the road, you're going to have nearsightedness again. And I got tons of people. I mean, if you search NMOPIA and LASIK, you're going to find tons of people who had LASIK and you've come back going, whoops, my eyes are bad again. And whether it's a year or 10 years, still now you've had surgery that comes with a whole bunch of risks of side effects that didn't permanently fix the problem because you didn't address the actual problem, right? Like now you, you did a surgery that's just a symptom treatment. Um, and I am very much like if there's one thing that I could tell people is don't do LASIK without doing a lot of research first. That's good to know. I I know um, the military actually. I don't know if the things have changed, but one of my uh, some of my friends that were going into the military wanted to get LASIKs while they were in the military, so that they can get better jobs. And the military wouldn't allow them to do it. Weird how that works, huh? Mm -hmm. So yeah, and some of them that did get LASIKs while they were in the military ended up losing their jobs when the military yeah. found out. Yeah, so, there's all kinds of things. That flap supposedly may or may not heal properly. There's all kinds of things with that that are uncool. Even the FDA's own website, you've got to dig a little bit, but they've got a page showing all the side effect risk factors and like the percentages that something could go wrong. And those numbers are a little crazy. I have it yeah. somewhere on our site too. Like the percentages are a little bit shocking that the the amount of risk there's in some of that stuff so it's no surprise that the military wouldn't that's that's kind of like the military guide or not the military but the government guidelines on cholesterol they'll give you all these warnings on the fda but somewhere in small print and you search through they said you know there's no real evidence to support these these and that that eating there's no real evidence to support that eating dietary cholesterol will affect your health in a negative way so in like small letters and, and one of the things you really got to search for. So they still have, you know, the last time I checked, they still have a lot of the, you know, watch out for the cholesterol and they don't even, 
differentiate between LDL or, or HDL and they just, so what do you do for your personal diet? What do you, what is, what is your nutritional approach? Dude, I, the problem is I, well, now I don't travel anymore, but I was traveling like at least 50% of the time in lots of places. My house is totally off grid in a jungle. Um, so I generally, I can't be so picky with my diet. Like I usually spend three months out of the year in Vietnam kite surfing and it's a little tiny fishing town and you can eat when there's food, right? Like breakfast time, lunchtime, dinner time, and there's soups and there's fish and that's what you eat. So I don't have the, the amazing luxury all the time of being so selective. I did keto for a while, absolutely enjoyed it. But then again, the travel happened and then it's like, huh, if I eat only keto, I'm going to get super hungry while I'm in Vietnam, just because right, like the portions are tiny. There's not that much fat available. I try. So I don't do processed food if I can avoid it at all. And I'm low carb most of the time. And then I go through periods where I just do a bit of elimination diet, where I just don't eat a bunch of different things. I skip sugar. I got a bit of a sugar addiction, but I try to get as close mm. to no sugar as possible in my diet in general. And then several times of a year, I do a giant blood panel, partially for amusement, like seeing how triglycerides go up and down, how cholesterol goes up and down, and keep a bunch of notes how that's based on the surrounding diet that I'm having at the time. But the, the short version is just no processed food, ideally no sugar, low carb, and then changing depending on where I'm at. Yeah, and with you being out in Asia in certain areas, I got to tell you, when I graduated high school, I was 500-something pounds, you know, pushing towards 600. I got out, lived in the Philippines, and the, there's high carbs in the diet, but the processing is different. There's more natural foods and things like that are available, and the portion sizes are much smaller. Plus, they're using... A lot of times when they're serving you any kind of animal protein, they're using the entire animal. It's not genetically modified. You know, the you're feet of the chickens. Yeah, right? I was about to say that. The chicken feet come up. And I end up losing, like I got down to under two, 300 pounds when I was out in the Philippines and I was eating rice and I was eating things. And when I was out in uh, Europe, I had croissants because I'm in Europe. I'm in the motherland of croissants, you know, and you like, to. you know, yeah, you know, and like some of the best croissants that I've ever had in my life, pasta and things. And I, 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 lost, I didn't have the inflammation I had in the U.S. eating U.S. grains that I did overseas. And not to say that I, that maybe that there wasn't any kind of negative health effect of eating grains in general for me because of my reactivity to them, but it definitely was nowhere near eating American grains. And I, I, I honestly think that with all the stuff that the U.S. does to our food with the chemicals and things like that, that we, we can take foods that would not be as damaging through GMO processes and things like that and make them a million times worse. And there's, I think there's, there's good reason why a lot of countries won't allow us to export certain things that we grow to their country. Cause I got super sick don't. on eating U.S. food. I lived in the U.S. for a while. Um, they tried to remove my pericardium, the skin around my heart. Mm. Wow. Uh, and it turned out it was just inflammation. Um, and it took me a long time to figure that out. I got pretty close to suicide around the time. I didn't know that I was eating a bunch of the wrong things, but my body was not happy. I came from Europe eating similar stuff. Right. And whatever mm -hmm. is different about U.S. food. And of course, like I don't do well with high carbs. I do not do well with gluten at all. Yeah. Um, so there's definitely like I'm not blaming America. Right. But but I got I got pretty messed up on food there. 
I've got a theory about the gluten sensitivity in the U.S. And I think, uh, one, we have that dwarf wheat, which is, you know, 10 times the amount of gluten in, in that wheat compared to the wheat that's traditional or grown or, or ancient grains. But also the fact that we're throwing glyphosate across all of our wheat. Glyphosate kills bacteria. It kills your gut bacteria. And in order to process gluten, you need a specific type of gut bacteria to take down that protein and make it hmm. something that the body could use. So I, one of my theories, working theories, is the reason why so many people in the U.S. are becoming sensitive to uh, gluten, either through celiac or non-celiac uh, sensitivities to gluten, is because we are disrupting our gut microbiome through antibiotic use, antibiotics thrown onto the to the wheat itself to kill it. And um, we, we are now starting to lack the gut bacteria to process the gluten. So it's a theory, but I, I base that theory on, you know, you look at people in Asia who eat a lot of seaweed, they can process the seaweed because they have a specific specialized type of bacteria in their gut that can process it. Whereas you look at the US, we eat the seaweed, we can't get the same nutrient benefit from it because we're majority of us are lacking that bacterial component to break down the seaweed. Just theory. Complicated. But, yeah, and that's yeah. why I don't that's why I don't much get into diet on the record because I don't want people to hear something I say that is not fully researched and then assume yeah. that the stuff I say about eyesight is also questionable. So I try to shut my mouth as much as possible and only focus on the stuff that I know well. Because diet is complicated. Yeah. Yeah. Diet is very complicated and I tell people all the time it's an individual approach. It really is. Because there's cultures around the world that do eat high carbs and they're very healthy. Yeah. But sure, I also right? look I also look at the context of what they're eating compared to what the U.S. is eating. And so I'm like, I'm wondering where that difference lies. Is, is it the fact that they're eating whole carbohydrates with the fiber and everything that is, is lightly processed and it makes up a certain percentage of their diet and it's not sprayed with everything? They're not taking antibiotic for every little ailment that, that comes their way. So they have healthy gut bacteria to break things down. You know, so there's, there's a lot of factors that we have to examine. And my, my way of dropping weight, as much weight as I, I have now, worked very well for me, but it may not work for somebody else. Yeah, and diet for sure. Like I definitely, the way I eat works for me, but it took me a while to kind of dial it in. And I get envious because I, I'm on podcasts, man, where we have these conversations about diet stuff. I'm like, man, you guys must be nice that you can just, you know, I'm only going to eat this kind of stuff. I'm like, man, I wish, I wish it was that close to a, that kind of grocery store where I have that kind of choices. You know, a lot of times I just, I lived in Myanmar for a long time. Circumstances, but I mean, we just have our own chickens and our neighbor grows stuff and there's people fishing and that's all there is. There is no grocery store. You know what I mean? There's yeah. no fridge because there's no power grid. So you just eat what there is. Go to that fresh market right down the way, the wet markets and grab what you need every day. Yeah, yeah, I, exactly. There was very similar when I lived in the Philippines. Uh, when I was in Thailand, and I, I can't remember the name of the mountain, but it was one of the mountains that's uh, just outside of Bangkok. And I was up there in the the Buddhist temples up there. Mm. So that's where I stayed while I was out there for, for the time. And uh, it was what grown. It was what was and, and more vegetarian based diet but they they did include some sort of animal products here and there like eggs and things like that but 
people were generally fairly healthy. They, you know, like some of these monks were ripped, very healthy, doing the amazing stuff, you know, and not on a diet that most keto people would be like, that's good. But we have to look at context and we have yeah. to look at what works for people. And we have to look at the entire picture and, and the reason why keto might work here. And I also think that's, that's an important thing that you said about not having the markets and having the selection they here in the u.s that's something that we could have ha- take stock in add to our gratitude journal that we have the ability to be picky about the food that we want that we can go uh to the market and request very fine shaved ham or whatever it is you know <laughs> and and if it's not shaved just right you know we don't want it you know whereas um, yeah that must be nice you know yeah like compared to a lot of other places where it's like what did we catch that we can eat well Bob, i also chicken. don't i i don't really care about what your diet is i love all of these conversations because to me it's just yeah. you're asking questions and you're thinking about what you're eating like that's already like so far ahead and you you got to look too because they're looking at using the whole animal in a lot of these countries you're going to get a lot more nutrients profiles with macros and micros different proteins more collagen things like that in your diet when they're using chicken feed in the soup and dude i'm not even oh we're getting so off topic or whatever that's all right i went i went to dinner with uh or i go to dinner with a thai friend every so often we eat chicken wings like there's a western style proper american chicken wing place loves chicken wings right but i eat chicken wings like we eat chicken wings like i eat the meat part and then I have this pile of chicken wings and my friend looks at the pile going, really? You're done eating that. I'm like, it looks done to me. I mean, there's just bone left. And she picks it up. And when she's done with it, that pile is a third of the size. Like all the cartilage is gone. Like all the things that are not like straight up like a dog would eat a bone is gone that, I, that we don't really eat. I mean, I don't know if you eat it, but like cartilage, all the stuff gets eaten. You know what yeah, I mean? Like just I- to- totally different, different style. I, I know that when I was traveling in certain areas, like I, I pretty much ate what was available too. And that could be bugs. It could be anything. You go down to the markets in Thailand, you have all the different bugs on the stands and stuff like that. And like, they're like, here, okay, that's what we eat. So I have packets of crickets downstairs that I, I'm going to try on video to show people like yeah, cooked crickets. <laughs> so I'm into it. But it's something that took some practice to get into. So I just, yeah. I like bringing it up because we, we are a nutrition podcast, but that's, I think gratitude is another part of health. And it like, I love that part of the conversation because it'll kind of, I'm hoping that'll make people look at the food that they're eating and like question why they're so picky. And another re- thing that could be is like, if you're really hungry and Jessica Reynolds said this on our podcast, you're not going to be so picky. Yeah. You're not going to be like, you know, I want something crunchy. I want something that's, I want, it's, it's, you're going to eat what's available. So we're going to go ahead and start closing out the, the podcast. And I typically have five questions I like to ask our guests and I'm going to modify them a bit for you uh, because there's generally questions of, of foods that you think everybody should eat, what not to eat. Since this wasn't really a dietary podcast, I am going to ask um, what, are some things that people should not do that would affect their eyes in a negative way? Can you give me three basic things that everybody should avoid to improve their eyesight? Sure. So number one, that's a good one. I like it. Phones, little screens suck. The smaller the screen is, the closer you're going to hold it to your face. Something called immersion, right? Like you need a certain distance from the size of the thing to where you feel your 
in it, right? And the smaller the thing is, the smaller the surface area is, the closer you're going to hold it to your face. So if, if you're watching a movie on your phone, you're going to hold it pretty close. And the closer you hold it, the tighter that muscle is that keeps the lens in that shape, the more you're going to get a muscle spasm. So worst case is the phone. Better case is iPad because it's bigger. You're not going to be tempted to hold it quite as close. Laptop is better. TV is best, right? Like the less time you can spend on a tiny screen, the better in general. Number two is the more you can get natural ambient daylight into your into your close-up use, the better because you can generally see better. And then if you're wearing glasses, if you're going to go on a tiny little adventure, buy a pair of glasses that are about a diopter and a half weaker. And that's kind of maybe asking a lot, but you can buy them online and then try that for your screen use. For for like the normal screen distance, it's like 60 or so centimeters, a little more in inches. You need about a doctor and a half less than you need for your distance vision. Your eyes are going to be so much more relaxed, not using full power distance vision glasses for your close-up. If you do that for a few months, and it's going to be the same because to your screen, you can see the same. If by accident, you leave your full power distance glasses on, you're going to feel it and you're going to be really uncomfortable, right? Like so using a lot less power for your close-up super great for you what are three things that everybody should be doing to improve their eyesight so we did the shouldn't young people are like i don't know what if there's nothing outside though a great piece of exercise that that i'm a huge fan of is finding a new thing to do maybe you haven't even thought of right like whether that's bird watching or rebuilding an old scooter going bowling just something you haven't done or thought about that could be the start of some new thing that gets you in a distance vision mode that you want to be in like what you said archery you know what i mean like a thing where you're like i'd like to go do that right now where you're not going to do netflix or playing scrolling through facebook on your phone super great for your eyes right like anytime you're engaging distance vision you're making your eyes happy who are five health heroes that you want everybody to know about and i know most of us have more than five but we gotta Man, I'm terrible with names and I don't have heroes specifically. Um, I'm more of a fan of activities than people, maybe. What I mentioned before is that I recently, some months ago, really got into the whole Brazilian jiu-jitsu thing. There are amazing people that are in it, obviously, but I love the activity. Like I used to love people who fly stuff. We talked about Ira Cummins. Like I love people that discover things that affect my life significantly unfortunately i'm gonna be a letdown on this one because i'm i'm not a name and people person i would just tell everybody to go and look at your research that you pulled together because there's probably a ton of health heroes on there that have written papers about for sure 100 percent. yes so, i'm doing them no justice that's all right the reason for that question is to give people resources to do a deeper dive so that's the whole point of that. So what is something, a, a health myth that you wish you can get rid of overnight? That myopia is genetic, that it's an illness, that you're a patient, and that your glasses are prescription. And what is something about the medical industry that you wish you could change overnight? If anything could change, if it wasn't about profit and symptom treatment. And that's something I think everybody has said. The problem with the whole thing is the way it works is making money off of treating a symptom. It's never going to work any better as long as that is the mode that it operates, right? Like what makes the most money is not fixing the problem. But what makes the most money is treating the symptom. There was some way to change it overnight where, where health wasn't about profits, myopia is. It's, you know, when you turn it into industry that's just solely focused on profits, you're going to lose a lot of empathy-wise, 
treatment wise and i think the people will lose out a lot yeah so. my parents are physicians i mean i grew up watching that stuff firsthand and they're yeah. great people but you know my dad loves statins and he can't be talked yeah. out of it like i see that stuff firsthand it's like doesn't do us any good yeah, i agree all right everybody i want you to be able to find jake steiner and the work that he's doing and take part if you need to improve your vision and things like that so jake give us all the contact details the facebook group the youtube channel uh endmyopia.org is the website so any other way they can find you endmyopia.org would be the best starting point there's a resource tab in the menu that gives you all the external stuff like the facebook group and the forum and the youtube channel and all the other stuff it's a big resource so if you go there be ready for a little bit of reading yeah and i will put links to the endmyopia.org as well as other links down in the show notes that people can find things easy i want to encourage everybody if you are on your health journey for keto or you're looking into it, there's a great resource for you that we provide and they are cookbooks from Carrie Brown. You can check out one of the awesome ones because everybody's so hooked on their beverages that are not water. So there is the 101 Keto Beverages, 101 Keto Beverages that you can check out that have low carb beverages that you can enjoy. Again, uh, it's fantastic. And if you go onto the carriebrown.com website, you could check out the digital cookbook special where you can get all five books for the price of three. It's a savings of 40% off. And by doing that, you could help fund the work that Carrie and I are doing to help other people get healthy and help us improve what we want to offer to everybody. Also, summer's coming up. Carrie's got the ice cream masterclass going. So if you want to check that out, you could also find that through carriebrown.com. Learn how to make some awesome ice creams like Rocky Road, Moose Track, a version of a cherry chocolate chunk ice cream, which tastes just like Cherry Garcia. And also one of my favorites is a uh, unusual ice cream called Sassy Goat which has the uh, goat cheese and strawberry compo. You go ahead and check that out. Again, I s encourage you to go on to patreon.com slash Show or even patreon.com slash Brown. Support what we're doing. Help us bring things out. The more supporters we get, the more content we can put out there for people to, to uh, absorb and help their improve their health. The other thing I want to say before I go is we are out of comments and reviews, and I'd like to read some more on there. So if you're listening to this, leave a comment or review on whatever platform you're listening to so that I can read them on air. I want to encourage everybody, as always, be kind to one another. Put more kindness into the world because the more that you do that, it's going to come back at you. The more hatred, the more anger, the more vitriol that you put out there, even if you think you're doing the right thing by correcting somebody else's mistakes, sometimes it's how you talk to people, not necessarily the message that you're sending. So keep yourself in check. Don't allow people to get you angry and don't put more anger into the world. We'll make things a lot better. All right, everybody, I'm going to sign off. We will see you later and to the next episode. Thank you for joining us on the Fatty Joe Show. Be sure to leave a comment and subscribe. It helps the show reach more people. To support the show, as well as Carrie Brown and Yogi's work on the blog, Keto Recipe Development, Masterclasses, and to gain access to private Facebook groups and other awards, go to patreon.com slash Show or patreon.com slash Brown. Also, check out our Carrie Brown and Yogi Parker YouTube channel for video versions of the Fatty Joe Show, recipe videos, and more.
Join our awesome community on the Facebook group, The Keto Kitchen with Carrie Brown and Yogi Parker. And check out our CarrieBrown.com website for recipes, blog posts, discounts, cookbooks, masterclasses, and other great stuff. Thank you so much.